Good afternoon, and welcome to Securing the Ever-Expanding Healthcare Enterprise Through Identity Governance, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Improvada. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We are looking forward to some audience participation. Um, we have your questions and comments box, which you can use at any time to send those in, and we'll take those later in the program. We're also going to do a little poll, um, so please keep an eye out for that. Um, nice view today. If you want to click on the top of your screen, the center there, uh, get it in side-by-side -side mode, then you can adjust the divider to make the slides as big as you like, and make sure it's a speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to do about 35, 40 minutes with our panel discussion featuring Steve Garaya, VP of IT, CIO, and CISO at Westchester Medical Center, Phil Curran, VP, CISO, CPO at Cooper University Healthcare, and Wes Wright, CTO with Improvada. So let's jump right in and uh, to our conversation. Um, can we get an overview of your organization and role? Let's start with you, Phil. Uh, my name is Phil Kern. I'm, uh, <clears throat> I work at Cooper University Hospital. It is a level one trauma center in South Jersey, uh, located right across from Philadelphia. Uh, we manage the seven southern counties in South Jersey, so we have the biggest footprint for a level one trauma center in, in, in South Jersey. Um, we also have uh, about 150 ambulatory offices located in South Jersey and in Pennsylvania. All right. Very good, Phil. Thank you. Uh, Steve, you want to give us a little bit of information about your organization and your role? Great. Thank you, Anthony. Glad to be here, everyone. Good afternoon. My name is Stephen Coraya. I'm the CIO and CISO of WMC Health, located in Hudson Valley, New York. We're a 10 hospital system spread out across the Hudson Valley. We have about 150, 200 ambulatory care, ambulatory care practices as well. Um, looking forward to a, a really robust discussion with the team. Thank you. Very good, Steve. Thank you. Wes? Hi. Uh, my name is Wes Wright. I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Improvada. Uh, I, I, I feel a little inadequate. Both Phil and Steve both have, have a couple of different titles. I mean, Steve's the CIO and the CISO, and Phil's the CISO, and I, I guess CPO's Chief Privacy Officer, I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh, I, yep. I, yeah. I, and I'm just the lowly CTO. Uh, been, at, been, been at Improvada uh, a little over two years now. Uh, prior to that, I was a CTO out at uh, Sutter Health and then a couple of other uh, locations. Been uh, actually been on the provider side of uh, the healthcare uh, game uh, for the last 25 ish years. And this is my first venture over into the to the vendor side. And I think couldn't have, couldn't have uh, gone to a better company in Provada. You know, we're uh, known known and uh, known and yeah, okay, I'll push it. Known and loved uh, throughout the, <laughs> throughout the healthcare uh, uh, systems. Um, known for our tap and go, but uh, now uh, you know, with our purchase of Caradigm two or three years ago, uh, we just built out the, uh, what we think 
uh, along with our Microsoft partnerships, probably the most uh, uh, comprehensive suite of identity and access management tools uh, available out there. So, All right. Wes, if you feel better, I'm giving up the CISO title very soon as well. So. No, okay, no. so so you'll be a you'll be a single title guy too. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's a it's a pretty easy world to live in. Well, I, I mean, is the goal to get multiple titles or to get rid of those multiple titles? Well, you know, be as efficient as you can. Yep, yep. I, I think it, if one title one title is good. I, I think that's. Uh, but <laughs> uh, if if you start collecting them, man, that's that's more job security, Anthony. That's true. That's true. All right. So we'll talk more about that later, maybe. Okay. Perhaps. All right. Very good. Um, let's talk a little bit about the impact COVID had, just sort of as a background thing, I think, to, to describe where everyone is. A little bit about the impact COVID has had on your organization and your community. Phil? It has had a huge impact on our community um, and the hospital. Uh, <clears throat> Camden is a, is a, is a city. It is a low-income city. Uh, if you have read anything about COVID, you would you would know that the the low-income individuals have been uh, more adversely affected with COVID uh, than other uh, types of population. Um, about half of our COVID patients have been have been from the city of Camden. Uh, the other half have been from, you know, within a 10 square mile of, of Camden city. Uh, the hospital has been, we've has, has been affected. Uh, we've had to open up, uh, well not open up, but transition rooms to ICU rooms on a, on a, uh, on an overnight basis. Uh, of course, our our dollars have, have been affected as as well because we haven't been able to do any of our uh, what we would call our high money making uh, pro, pro procedures like ortho, neuro. Uh, so um, we're looking to see how that's going to affect us for the rest of the year and going into 2021. Um, we are still seeing COVID patients. Um, not as many, thank, thank, thank God. Uh, but uh, we're beginning to get a little bit back to normal. Mm-hmm. Yep, very good, Wes. Uh, you know, it, on the other side of the fence, yeah. It, it, of course, it because it did affect uh, uh, organizations like Stephen Phil's. Uh, you know, it had to affect us. There's a, you know, everybody uh, for for. The term I like to use is, you know, everybody's keeping their powder dry. They, they don't really want to want to commit to to big projects, commit to any projects, um, uh, because of COVID. They don't know uh, which direction they'll have to turn. Like Bill was saying, they uh, they're having to rebudget. Everybody, uh, you know, stopped any kind of non-emergent care, and so the, they just, you know, not that there was anything they could do about it, but you know, just created a great big budget hole. And so, if you're if you're selling into a health a healthcare delivery organization, uh, yeah, that's that that kind of kind of ground everything to a halt. Fortunately, you know we have a, a pretty a 
a pretty infrastructure type of product that that actually increases uh, the efficiency of, of the clinician and being able to see the patient. So uh, we didn't take a big dip like, say, the airlines industry or something like that. Um, so there's that. And then just like everybody else, uh, we, we had to close all of our offices. Uh, we have offices in the UK, Australia, uh, and of course here in the States, and everybody uh, is now working from home. So we've, we've had to adapt to, you know, how, how do you do engineering collaboration uh, using Zoom? Uh, and if anybody's got a good uh, whiteboard, <laughs> whiteboard application out there, we've tried a bunch of them and none of them really seem to be working that well. Um, and then something that's really cool, and we might get to it later, is, is uh, um, our customer input. You know, our, our customers out there have, that have been longtime uh, Improvata users have come up, did come up with, and shared with our community about 30 or so different ways that they're using uh, out-of-the-box thinking that, that they're using the Improvata products to help deal with the, the COVID uh crisis and response and that that was really super cool to see uh how how our our customers use the product in different ways and how willing and i think this is about healthcare though how willing they are to to share those different uh methodologies and using the product it's pretty cool all right great wes um steve you want to talk about the impact at your organization oh yeah it, it was a tremendous experience for me and my team uh, I think we lost the, the video, but that's quite all right. Um, we have, we're back to somewhat normalcy right now, but during the height of the COVID crisis, we were running 24-7. At some point, I forgot what day it was. Um, <laughs> we transformed it, the healthcare organization. We created about 70% more beds. We opened tents, testing tents at each of our 10 facilities, from COVID testing to antibody testing to we rolled out about $3 million worth of new technology to really monitor, monitor patients in a room, monitor the COVID patients, really, really, really transform the organization and do everything like it was an urgent, urgent, urgent need. So my team really came through with flying colors. We deployed, we delivered, we were the glue that held it all together. We deployed some amazing new technology. For example, we've got about 5,000 to 7,000 users working remotely within a week using Citrix and partnering Citrix and Cisco. That was an amazing experience. We really got the temperature scanning, working with KRAI and other organizations to really bring the temperature scanning to to the forefront of all our entrances. We really, really went through a lot, and the team came through in technology really was a shining star. I understand if the caregivers, you cannot even come close to that, but technology was the driver that really reacted. We reacted and we reacted well, we reacted fast, but it was a life-changing experience to see what you can do when you're called upon to do everything now and do it well. So I think it's gonna change what we do going forward, specifically related to security, but also the delivery of care, how do you reimagine the ambulatory care, how do you reimagine telehealth, how do you reimagine home visit, how do you reimagine the new world of home monitoring, how do you really care for patients, how do you regain the trust of patients that were even afraid of coming to the hospital in, in before, how do you get them back in here, or do you really change the care delivery model to focus on the consumerism of healthcare, and how do you keep that secure? 
So there's so much that happens, so much that's changing, and technology is going to be at the forefront of this. So as a technology leader, a CIO, we're positioned appropriately, but we have to really partner with the organization's financial and clinical leaderships to really drive the change that's upon us. Yeah, Steve, one of the, you know, you mentioned it, and one of the things we've heard from other CIOs and executives is we were, we were surprised at what we were capable of doing, almost the speed with which we were able to do things um, was surprising and pleasantly surprising. And I would imagine IT departments are, have a different feeling about themselves and their capabilities than they may have had before this. And there's a different expectation that's been set in terms of how fast things can be accomplished. And I would imagine there's no interest in going back to the old slow pace of, of how things used to get done or not get done. Is that accurate? Absolutely. We were, I was personally stunned. My team, we deployed stuff so fast and did it so well that it's changing the expectations of our leadership and the clinicians. But again, you, you did things you did not, you know, follow all the protocols and maybe quality suffered a little bit. You have to admit when you're doing things fast, you're not you know, systematically approaching anything. You're not applying the appropriate governance. You're making decisions on the fly. There, mm-hmm. there, 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 there are some things that can be improved, but the level and speed of care and the level and speed of what we delivered, absolutely the expectation has been um, raised and we have to really adapt to it. But we cannot continue just to do things reactionary. We, I got to go back to some level of strategic thinking and strategic application of technology. But again, you have to be able to do both at the same time and be able to deliver the technology to the clinicians and be able to deliver them in an expedient manner. Yeah, absolutely. It's been an eye-opening experience. And I, I Phil, think, did, go ahead, Wes. Yeah, I think that um, this this taught us what uh, you know what the the software industry and folks have have always known it's is the it's the thought of MVP that that minimum viable product uh, you know like Stephen was saying yeah yeah it, you know it didn't go through all the rigor and, and testing and, and it didn't it didn't get to you know it didn't answer ninety percent you know all the way up to ninety percent of the of the problem but you know what it it, it solved sixty percent of it and 60% was better than the zero and the other month it would have taken to get to the 90%. So one, I think it taught us the, 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 the value of a minimum viable product and two, uh, focus when, when you focus, like, like I'm sure Steven and Phil's teams, they just, they had one focus and that was, that was to, to support the caregiver in, in them dealing with the COVID crisis and, Unfortunately, what I'm hearing now from some of the folks that I talk to, my old peers, you know, they're going, okay, uh, like Phil was saying, the, 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 it, things are starting to tail off a little bit. The crisis is, you know, we're not getting inundated. And now everybody's piling back on. They're, you know, that plate, that plate that used to just be full of COVID and everybody was talking about, let's get this COVID done. Now everybody's starting to pile other stuff back on that plate to, to where you kind of, that focus, you're losing a little bit of that focus that, that is really what enabled people to move quickly, I think. Mm-hmm. Phil, I'd love your thoughts Any, anywhere you want to jump in on all that. I, I, I agree with Steve with, I mean, our ability to, to get things done was from, from my perspective was, was, was just amazing. 
we deployed technologies to monitor patients uh, within the rooms. Uh, so the nurses and the doctors did not have to go into the rooms to save our PPE. Mm-hmm. Uh, we deployed technologies where loved ones could talk with their, uh, uh, with the people that were in the hospital. Uh, you know, uh, we, we deployed technologies that would allow us to do the remote access to do the, uh, uh, tele to, to do the telemed. Now we already had processes in place, but, uh, it was just, we got rid of, come on, I got, got, got rid of, we had, uh, 7,500 employees just start, uh, tele, just start tele, 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 uh, working remotely within, uh, two weeks. We had telemedicine up within, within three days. So it was, it was just amazing. Just amazing. Phil, what about that that balance? So we talked about the things that have to be sacrificed uh, to speed. When speed is the objective, is an emergency situation, there are certain things that, which Steve mentioned uh, around governance that have to be sacrificed uh, to a certain degree. Um, number one, is that is that accurate as you see it in terms of how things went? And so if we're bringing all that back, do we want to bring it all back? Or do we want to just bring some of it back? Do we want to totally go back to what it was? Or do we realize that, hey, you know, to, to what Wes was saying about the MVP is, is there somewhere short of going all the way back that we want to be so we can move with speed? There is no going back. Uh, our, I can't speak for anybody else, but our senior executives have, have seen what we can do. Um, fortunately, from a governance standpoint, uh, I'm a member of Cooper's incident management team. So I was in all of the decision-making processes. So uh, they would never forget to come and talk to me. Phil, what do you, what do you think about this? How, what's, what's the best way to, to, to get this done? Is there a way that we can make this effective for the patient while keeping the privacy and, and the security of the data, uh, uh, so that really wasn't an issue for for uh, Cooper. Um, talking to my peers in other ho- hospitals around South Jersey, the answer is yeah, they they were just left out of the loop. But we can but we can never go back. Uh, we'll never go back to the to the old plotting ways to 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 get things done. And and quite frankly, I'm I'm, I'm seeing that now. Uh, how are we going to deploy telemedicine permanently? How are we going to deploy uh, uh, people working remotely permanently? So, right. as, back. as a healthcare leader, you have to be a chameleon these days. You have to be an adaptable, right? What Darwin says, not the smartest will survive. The ones that are ability to adapt to, to the changing environment will survive. So you have to be able to adapt and apply. I, I think what's going to come into play is applying lean principles to everything you do trying to be lean, trying to be nimble, but still have certain governance controls and processes and your PMO, but you've got to really be able to do streamline operations and streamline streamline delivery, streamline governance. So applying lean principles to the new world, I think, is where, where we got to go as a technology leader. But, yeah, there's no going back, but we cannot do what we did. We're, we're going to fail. Something's going to go wrong, but you got to make sure that you're not going back to the old ways of, 
removing that cog from the wheel and applying new technology, new processes, and really reimagine as, as technology leaders, how can we deliver efficiently, but deliver things that are quality-based and things that are safe for our patients. At, at the end of the day, we're here to treat the patient, and, and one little mistake that you make can really significantly affect the patient. One security uh, rule regulations or anything that's really not appropriate or allow too much access or not allow someone with inappropriate access can detrimentally affect the patient. So as you work to re-engage the patient and re regain that trust, you have to walk that fine line of being able to deliver on time, being able to, be, being able to be nimble, but you still have to be able to do the right thing and make sure there is appropriate controls in place to deliver it. Yeah. Well said. Anthony, Go ahead. Yeah, Anthony I, I, I don't know if you noticed or not, but I changed the background and I'm going to step out of the way. Um, so this is, this, is what, this is what we're talking about, really, is, is that minimum, oh, you can still see the clock. There we go. That minimum viable product, you know, that down there on the bottom, the physician comes to you, I, I, need to, I need to get from here to there, and I need to do it faster. Well, you give them a, you know, you give them a skateboard, and then you give them a bicycle. And the whole time that you're iterating, they're happy. And to them, that's mm -hmm. speed. But what we used to do is that top line, which is, okay, well, I need to get you from point A to point B, so I need to build you a car. So you come back to me in 18 months, I'll show you what I got. And they, they're ticked off the whole time. So I think we're down on that bottom. Uh, I think we're, like uh, Phil was saying, we're firmly ensconced down on that bottom methodology that I don't think we're going to go back up to that. Give me 18 months uh, so I can plan it and build it uh, again. Very good. Go. Excellent. Excellent. I like the visuals being brought in. Very good. Um, you know, Phil, you had mentioned that you were at the table, so you were able to make sure that nothing was rolled out uh, that had any security vulnerabilities. Um, I don't know. I wonder if others, you know, didn't quite have it set up that way. Or if you uh, or any or Steve or anybody did things that you you took risk knowing what you were doing, but maybe risk you would not have taken in a, in a non-emergency environment. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, Phil, you want to start? Well, you're always going to take more risk in an emergency environment because the bottom line, like she said, is that we have to treat the patient. Okay. But at, but part of treating the patient is not just the physical treating of the patient. It's also their mental health. So one of the risks that we had was how are we going to allow the patient to communicate with their loved ones? They can't come into the hospital. We're not allowing visitors into the hospital. So how are we going to allow them to talk? Now, again, mm -hmm. a lot of our patients are, are poor, so they don't have a cell phone or, or any way of, of doing that uh, talking. So we went out and purchased 150 um, iPads, and we got another 50 donated to us. So we were able to give the patient the ability to do the, the, the patient and their loved ones, the, the, the ability to do that FaceTime um, uh, for patients that we wanted to have them loved ones in, in the hospital. It was very, very rare, uh, but we would, we would allow the, we would allow the, the loved one to, to come up to the floor 
stand outside of the room and, and we would have a, uh, a video conferencing, a mobile video conferencing suite outside the room where, 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 where they could talk. Uh, those sorts of things went, went in. How do we do the uh, temperature monitoring? How do, we, how do we make sure that our employees are safe when, they, when, when they're treating the, these patients? It's, it's all about risk management and what your acceptable level of risk is. And that was well orchestrated at Cooper because, quite frankly, we've done this any, any number of times with, with SARS, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we were we were real, we were well prepared to to manage this this situation. Steve, as as the CISO, are you deciding almost in real time the risk that you consider acceptable, or does that something that you need to explain to the CEO and the board, uh, and and have them assume responsibility for the risk that you've laid out? And but then you know if you've got this emergency situation, you have time for all that. Or do you have to make some decisions yourself? Talk about the CISO role and who decides the level of risk that's acceptable and then how that might change in an emergency environment. So that goes back to creating a culture of security where everyone is engaged and aware of what the parameters are. Of course, you have to make the call sometimes and you have to really dive into these things and, and make the call. But if you have a culture of security where everyone thinks of security first, and it's been a long journey for us, and we've been on a high-trust journey and really focused on creating that culture of security across our organization where the nursing staff, the clinicians, the, the, everyone else is thinking of IT security. And it's amazing what has happened here over the past three years where everyone is focused on security first. But when a pandemic hit, people are focused on the patient first. And, and you know, it, it was a constant thing of engaging with my team on the ground and myself and really focusing on really delivering the care but be aware of the security risk and what risk was uh, acceptable, acceptable to us, where security is really a risk management, a risk tolerance uh, proposal to our organization. So yes, the, the end users and nurses, the clinician, my team were fully aware that security comes first and security was all there. But there were times that I had to get in, involved and really change what the direction of the technology would be or apply some other controls with the technology to make sure we were protected and we were safe, but it was a collaborative effort, mostly driven by us, but the, the clinicians and other operational leaders were a true partner in this as well. Wes, any thoughts around that dynamic? Yeah, yeah, we, uh, we saw a couple of different things right at the beginning. Um, you know, uh, as Steve and Phil said, that, you know, they, they immediately had to, I think Phil said he had 7,000 people uh, that, that, you know, one day they were working in a building, the next day they went home. And what we saw was a lot of folks um, not having some kind of uh, two-factor or multi-factor authentication for those remote workers. And not more than a week after you know the, the shelter-in-place stuff happened, we saw that in Provada and went, look, we can't, we're, we're, an, we're, a, you know, we're a health IT security company uh, the focus is on identity, of course, but uh, we don't want to, we don't have our customers or, or our non-customers uh, having to do that. So we offered our remote access, multi-factor uh, authentication, remote access licenses for free through through uh, ju uh, July 31st. Really easy to stand up, uh, and, and had quite a few folks 
mm, about 170 customers and non-customers take us up on that. So that's that's one one area that we saw, and kind of one of those things that you normally wouldn't do uh, if it weren't for a pandemic. Um, our self-service password reset software has always had the capability that if you turned it on in a reverse proxy method, you could let people reset their passwords from a remote location. Something that I'm sure just right, even talking about it now makes both Bill and Steve's skin kind of crawl with a, with the thought of that. But, you know, uh, we were kind of victims of our own success when they're on, when, when they're on prem, they're tapping into this and tapping into that and have no idea what their passwords are. And then all of a sudden they had to work from home and the help desk were just getting killed uh, with password reset requests. And so uh, we say, look, there's this, this way you can use a self-service password reset and reverse proxy, and you can let them reset their passwords from home. And a lot of people did that. And I bet that's one that's gonna be pulled back pretty quick too. Very good, well, I guess we'll see, we'll yeah. see. Um, Phil, let me start with you with this question. You know, when we're talking about the perimeter, when we get into more of the discussion about identity governance, and one of the ideas is that the ecosystem of healthcare just continues to grow, expand. There's been a lot of M&A um, in New Jersey. Uh, we know that. Uh, you're, you're in the area. I'm in New Jersey. You know, Hackensack Meridian, all that kind of stuff, and it's going on throughout the country. Do you think the perimeter of the healthcare organization, quote-unquote, will continue to grow and morph? And what does, that, uh, what does that mean from a security point of view? Yes, I believe that it will morph. Uh, I kind of look at it like, you know, you're, you're making scrambled eggs and you're pouring the eggs into the pan and that's, that's the perimeter. It just keeps on expanding and it's, 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 it's liquid. It's, it's, it's never, it'll only stop until it gets to the border of the pan. From my perspective, there really is no perimeter any, anymore. Uh, Amen. Docs want doc, docs want to look at uh, X-rays on their on their uh, smartphones. Uh, we've got uh, we're an academic medical center, so we have medical students who want to who, who want to do research from from home. We've got residents who who need to be on call all the time. So from from wherever they are, so it, there is no perimeter anymore. We've got vendors third third party risk management we've got vendors we've got we had to bring in uh, about a hundred locum tenum nurses from all over the country uh, how are we going to get their id set up how do we make mm -hmm. sure that they're they they they've got all their quals done so really from my perspective there there, there isn't any there is no perimeter anymore wes well i you know Phil could have, uh, being an identity company, you know, uh, about five, six, five, six years ago when I was working with Microsoft out at Sutter on a project out there, I, I started to hear the Microsoft people say, well, identity is the new perimeter. Uh, meaning that, you know, it's, it's identity is how you control things. And recently, Joy Chick, who's the uh, corporate VP for identity at Microsoft uh, in a blog said, yeah, identity used to be the new perimeter. Uh, but now it's the new control plane because right at the center of all that stuff, the, the users and roles and the locations and the devices 
and the applications, the one thing that ties all that stuff together is that digital identity. And you have to be able to, to be assured uh, that that digital identity is who you think it is, one, but that's how you can control uh, access to applications, data, uh, and network resources. Because like Phil said, there is no perimeter anymore. Uh, identity used to be, the, identity is that new perimeter as well as that new control plane. That's, you know, Improvata, that's Wes's opinion. And fortunately, it, it, it melds in there with Improvata's opinion too. Well, that works out well. Steve? Yes. I'm still thinking about Phil's fried egg and making me hungry. Um, <laughs> I know, that was good. I could see it too. I could see the egg spreading across the pan. Yeah. I, I, I have a visual as well. I haven't had lunch yet, so that's even more. Um, so I agree with Wes that, you know, identity governance is, is, is key to this. And having a tool, the right tool, that really links up and really manages the, the broad spectrum of users you have with different roles and really, be, uh, really enable us to identify who has access to what and make sure that's appropriate is the key to all of this. And in a tool like Caradigm, I think it's fantastic. I, I'm a big fan of it. And I think you guys are positioned appropriately and correctly in this time really penetrate the ecosystem and and really help organizations manage their identity governance because I don't think many of us have a robust tool as Caradigm in place that will be able to help us to manage this. So, Steve, I worked at four different four different locations and I never I never had uh, an automated identity governance system. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I you know I made several failed attempts at standing them up, but. You know, the problem always was is that one, it's plumbing and nobody really cares about plumbing. You know, you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna make the physicians super happy. They're not gonna applaud you at the next uh, MEC meeting because you stood up an identity governance system. And, and two, they just man, it seemed like whenever you tried to stand one of those up, everybody, you know, HR wanted to redo their job code so that the so that everything would be automated and. and and now with the way we've got Improvata identity governance working, that's, um, you know, in, in six months, you, we can get you up and running and, and uh, uh, provisioning into your, your uh, EHR applications, Exchange Online, your uh, uh, ERP, and, the, and so on. So I appreciate the call out. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that product and where it's going and what we're doing with it. Thank, thanks for mentioning it, Steve. No, it's a great product. Thanks. Phil, do you think identity is the key here? Yes, <laughs> I do. It's, 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 it's the key to everything. I mean, who has access to what, where, where can they access it from? Um, that is, that is the key. And that's the, that's for me, that's the new, uh, that's the IT security problem uh, is, is identity management. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, let's go with Steve. Let's go with you first. Uh, what do you see as the main security threats on the horizon? Um, if you asked me this question three months ago, it would have been a different answer. So with COVID and, and the changing technology, the rapid deployment of technology, things are changing so fast. My, my major concern is that there, there are people out there that are watching us. There are people out there that are trying to capitalize on the vulnerabilities that exist inadvertently or, 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 or naturally that as we move to more technology, move to 
the parameter keeps growing, there's no identity governance, there's not appropriate identity governance, there's not the right tools in place. And as the new normal becomes more and more prevalent, and we keep deploying technology to drive change and to meet the new consumer demands, security has to evolve. Security has to really focus on how do we protect our data, how do we protect our patient, how do we restore our trust, and organizations have to really invest more in security to drive the, the, the necessary changes needed to really meet the enhanced demand. So it's an evolving world, and security has to be, again, like a chameleon and adapt to it. So the, the, the new normal really does scare me. Phil? I completely agree with that. Uh, it's the speed of things that uh, uh, that that people are expecting now. They'll they'll want the, the governance to to keep up with that. And quite frankly, I don't think that our security people are 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 ready for that. They're used to the old ways. Uh, they're used to the slow plotting way to to get things done. But they need to be adaptable. And 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 quite frankly, most of the people that I deal with, most of the security people that that I deal with are not adaptable. They're, they're, they're not flexible. It's, you've got to do it this way. Well, that's not acceptable anymore. So we need to be, we need to be able to keep up because if we don't keep up, then we're going to be left behind. And if we were left behind, we, we put the organization at risk. So uh, Phil, are those, you're talking about internal people uh, in the health system on the IT team? Or are you talking about vendors? Who are you uh, talking about in terms of not being adaptable? I'm talking about uh, people that I deal with at Cooper mm-hmm. and people that I deal with outside of Cooper, uh, vendors, etc. Okay, they need to be they they need to be flexible. They they need to, if I want a vendor to come on quickly, they need to they, they need to be adaptable to to make sure that they can meet those expectations. And there, are, there were times during this pen, pandemic that it was we just said, "Sorry, you're just going way too slow. We we got to get this done, and you and 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 you can't do it." So it's it's both internal and external. Wes, there's a, there's a lot there. Um, so we've got our main question about the security threats on the horizon, yep. but the point. The point Phil is making is extremely interesting, and I'd like Steve to weigh in on it after you do, which is there's a new environment here, and some of the people are not suited to function in this kind of environment. They're not flexible. They're not, they can't move quickly, and they just don't have it in them. So are we going to see turnover? Are we going to see those people are going to have to be, you know, some people are going to have to be moved out, and, and new people are going to have to be moved in? Yeah. Uh, I, I think so. And I'll, I'll, I'll go last to first on that. You know, I completely agree with Phil. Uh, some, some organizations, you know, to some degree, we taught our vendors to go slow. I mean, we have to, we have to be a culpa some of that because we weren't, we weren't moving fast. Um, we, uh, the mm-hmm. health, health delivery organizations, well, we had to move fast. We were forced to move fast. And now we're going to find out what vendors can make that pivot with us. And the ones that can't will be left to the side. At Improvada, we used to come on site. Uh, almost every install, we would come on site uh, to, to help help folks uh, do the implementations. Uh, all the implementations and training uh, that we're doing right now, it's all virtual. 
Uh, we had to make that pivot, and and the vendors who can't make a pivot like that, yeah, they're going to be they're going to be left in the uh, completely in the dust. Um, now to the to the other question, uh, it, you know, what what do you see as the main security threats? Well, I think ad infinitum, uh, my main security vulnerability is going to be that end user uh, and 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 their education level um, uh, around security so it's the it's the social uh it's the social engineering uh threats that i find uh the the most threatening out there right now especially uh as people are working remote and working from home and they don't have that peer reinforcement uh you know all the time that that constant reminder the posters at work and that kind of stuff and then and they'll start to get Maybe a little lackadaisical on on, uh, on their security posture, and then the the, the social folks will, will just be able to go in and, and trick them into doing things that they normally wouldn't do. Steve, um, your thoughts around this? Uh, it's very it's very interesting. Almost everyone got a test, right? When when COVID was at its peak, your staff got tested on the individual level, right? Who can respond? Who can handle the crisis? who can do deal with it. And as uh, Phil said, the vendors got tested. Can you do what I need you to do in the time I need you to do it? And it's almost like we mentioned evolution before who, who evolved quickly enough Darwin. to be right. Who, who evolved fast enough and people showed their colors and what they're capable of. So your thoughts around that. So it's th threefold here. First, you have to look at your vendors. Are they the right vendors for you? Are they adaptable? Are they nimble? Are they willing to work with you? Do they have capabilities? Do they have the culture within themselves or the, the, the technical uh, capacity within the organization to really react to your enhanced demands? Second, you have to look at the leaders. As a leader of the security team, leader of the IT organization, you've got to be a change agent. You've got to be able to drive change within your organization. You cannot rely among the people. People may be, some may be adapt, some may be not be able to adapt, and you've got to make that change. But you have to be able to sell that change in culture the change in environment, the change in the new normal, and what's required. Things are always going to change. You have to be able to be that change agent and drive change throughout the organization. Third, you have to be able to find the right employees. And even before COVID, you have to have the, if the employees that are willing to adapt and change and move. If you have someone that's not even coachable or willing to be motivated or, 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 or change what they're doing, they're not the right person for you. So, and again, and it goes back to your organization as well. What, as, as someone says, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? You have to be able to apply the strategy for your culture. I may have grand ideas. I may have want to be the greatest change agent, and unless my culture and my organization is receptive to it, we're not going to get anywhere. So you have to tailor your approach based on your organization and your culture, but you, as a leader, have to drive that. You have to be able to be that change agent and really drive change across your organization, not just within your, your IT security silo or with your vendor. Throughout the organization, you have to bring change and be that change agent to be able to allow that change to permeate across the enterprise and bring to fruition what you really want to achieve with the clinicians and the operations leaders as well. Very good. All right. We're going to do our little audience poll. Before I launch this poll, I want to figure out what uh, – what a number is for significant increase. So we see the question, Steve, what, what would a number be a percentage for a significant increase in a security budget? 
I, I think security budgets are very minimal now. And it's hard What's that? To, no, I, I just think, want a number. I just want to oh, give a number. What would ah, a, I'm ah. trying to define this question before we launch it. So what would a percentage be that you would define as significant in terms of an increase in budget? I think a 50 to 75 increase in IT security budget is required right now. Security has been underfunding forever. And COVID, if you had asked me this question before COVID, I would have said 50 percent, but 50 to 75 percent, I think, right. increase in security budget. I go with so that, let's too. Put, yeah. Let's define it for this question. We're going to launch the poll now. We'll define it as 50 percent when we say need to be significantly increased in looming threats are to be managed properly. We're talking about a 50% increase. So do you think that that needs to happen, that essentially IT, IT security budgets need a minimum 50% increase to handle things properly? Uh, please answer that, and we will take a look at it in a moment. So while people are answering the poll, we're going to go to the Ask a Co-Panelist. Wes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask one or both of your co-panelists a question. Yeah, I, I, this is a question for 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 both uh steve and phil um so you know we are do we were uh, uh doing a bunch of virtual care telehealth um uh visits um two it's a two-parter uh when do you think or do you think uh cms will stop paying uh parity for those telehealth visits uh, you know, paying the same as if it was an in-person visit. And two, um, where do you think, you know, because some, you know, telehealth went, went up to like 70, 80% of visits at, at most organizations. Where do you think after CMS uh, or if you, from a parity perspective, where do you think your telehealth visits will end up uh, as a percentage of your visits, say, six months from now? Uh, Phil, you want to go first? Phil, ask the question. All right, so I'll take the second one first, which is okay. the percentage of telehealth visits. Uh, I would say 30 to 35 percent, maybe, maybe a third wow. of our visits would 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 be telehealth. Um, quite frankly, our patients love it. Our patients love it. They don't have to leave the house. My 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 wife, she's had all of her oncology visits through telehealth. She doesn't have to leave the house. Right. Um, as for, uh, I can't, what was the other question again? <laughs> when, when do you think CMS will stop paying the same mm -hmm. price for a, a telehealth visit as they do an inpatient visit or an in-person visit? I, I would say probably in the right around the fourth quarter, but they are getting a lot of pressure from everywhere not to 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 keep it on parity uh, mm -hmm. congress is doing it all of the all of the hospital associations are are doing it uh so uh, but i'm thinking third uh fourth quarter cool steve all right so um i think it's a seismic shift in the way we do uh provide telehealth and that's gonna Keep growing. I, I see us to 45, 50% of our care being done via telehealth. It requires a bunch of different things. It requires partnership with community organizations. It requires partnership with others like CVS, Walmart, Walgreens. It does require us to really rethink the way care is delivered in the ambulatory setting. That's going to continue to enhance the ambulatory need and 
even before COVID, the younger generation, no one wants to come to the hospital anymore. And I think that's going to be even more significant now. Um, with CMS, I, I saw somewhere that Seema Varma said there's no going back. I saw just recently Chime just sent out a survey that says 80% uh, of the CIOs are really focused on getting them to lobby Congress for enhanced reimbursements for telehealth and even in-home monitoring as well. So I think I cannot predict when it will go away. I think it's here to stay. And I think the government and CMS will keep that going in some form and with the push of a New Jersey Hospital Association, Haney's, and places like Chime and Hims, I think the possibility or probability exists for it to keep it there for a long time. I think this is a, a seismic shift that there's no going back. Gotcha. All right, let's go to our poll. We have the results, and uh, I call this, when Wes is involved, I call it Guess with Wes. So uh, what do you got, Wes? What's your percentage agree? Well, you know, Anthony, I think this is going to be the easiest question, or easiest poll question that we have ever done together because this is going to be in the super, I would say, 98%. 98%. Yeah. All right, Phil, what do you, what do you, where are you going, Phil? What do you got? I'm going 100. Oh, he's going 100. <laughs> wow, that's a man with conviction. Steve? Yep. I'm going to go Price is Right style, 96. Yeah, <laughs> 96. Well, the winner, is, the winner is going to be Steve at 92%. 92%. Uh, well, so, 8% of the folks thinks you guys don't know what you're talking about. So, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll have to figure out who that is and well, we've probably got 8%, one to the bunch. 8% of the audience is CFOs, Anthony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice one. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, listen, that's about all we had time for today. Um, appreciate everyone coming. Regarding continuing education, the uh, final slide in this deck can be used as a certificate that you attended. You'll receive an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready. If you want to sponsor one of our upcoming events, reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website to register for our upcoming events. With that, I want to very much thank our wonderful panel. We always have a good time. Steve Garaya, Phil Curran, Wes Wright, and I want to thank Iprovada for continuing to uh, make these events possible and help the industry. And I want to thank you, our attendees, for coming. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Steve. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Thanks, Appreciate guys. it.